sorry. I'm with well, the program now. You know what? Don't, I mean, don't, uh, you know, remember Romans 8, 1. There's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we need to be very careful when we do this kind of thing, have this discussion, not to buy the enemy's lie. Um, and just use a highlighter for help. <laughs> yeah, um, I did. <laughs> but the thing of it, and you use it, you went back and looked. Um, why does the enemy hate the family? Because the, the family is the glue. It is the glue of a society, yes. And for a nation to be built, it's built upon families. Um, what, what ultimately, what is our nation? What's the name of our nation? We have, I kind of refer to it as soul, dual citizenship, while mostly we would say we're L, uh, aliens of this world. But what is our dual citizenship? Heaven. That's one citizenship. The other one is Earth. Earth, yeah. Where do we live? In the world. Yes, but specifically. America. Country. America. Yeah. Yeah, in the United States and we have a constitution that um, governs us. And interestingly enough, I'm not gonna camp here, I'm just gonna say this quickly. And then you could do some further study. Our U.S. Constitution is, uh, you can uh, use for constitutional republic. You can use covenantal republic. You could use, there's one other one, and I'm drawing a blank. In other words, our government, when um, the men put our form of government together, um, they believe, and I agree with them, they were um, directed by God with Judeo-Christian principles. Doesn't mean everyone agreed and it was easy to get there, but they came to a place, not only with our Constitution, but the Mayflower Compact and the Magna Carta um, and documents all leading up to that and every state not only the constitution the declaration well, the declaration of independence let me say that magna carta and um all the state constitutions uh, start with what do you all know who is mentioned in the beginning of those documents god god yeah yeah mm -hmm. so we need to remember that when we hear stuff like you know, no, this isn't a Christian nation or anything. I don't know that we need to have that argument as much as we need to remember our form of government. And being a constitutional republic, we are our government. Um, and I would encourage you to go back. And it was made for a religious and moral people. Who do you think the founding fathers were talking about when they said a religious and moral people. Anybody? Hmm. Um, they were probably thinking of themselves. <laughs> I don't know. 
okay? They were thinking about the church. They were thinking about Christians uh, would be a religious and moral people. We're not talking about a particular Mm -hmm. person right now. We're talking about the idea of, and the reason being is because the Holy Spirit is who guides a Christian, is he not? Hmm. So it would be pretty hard to be a self-governing nation if you didn't have uh, that bedrock of Christian principles. So moving from there, we're, and and use that a little bit to compare, but not. Uh, What did we learn? Um, were the ideas or the idea in this first chapter. What kind of government? Communist. Yes, Marxist. Um, Mm -hmm. And do you remember who the father of Marxism is? Mm. His name? Karl Marx. Yeah. Um, and what and what does cultural uh, meaning right now it's not a government it's cultural cultural it's Marxism what does it promise uh, that makes it look so appealing there were several things on page 21 that uh, makes it so appealing they they put hope for change and they, you know, everybody will be equal and justice and does exactly the opposite. Yeah. Open mm-hmm. change sounds like a book somebody wrote, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, and income equality, racial harmony, and justice. Um, and that's where we see cultural uh, social justice coming in. Um, who doesn't want to feed the poor? Betty was out at her church this morning helping give um, uh, food to the people of the community. Um, so is she a social justice person? No. Um, what would make her social uh, social justice person or her church? What would make that uh, a social justice agenda? Um, if you leave God out of the equation, I mean, all of this sounds really great, but um, God is is not is not thought of in Marxism. Yeah. Now I'm going to say something that's going to be a little controversial, but let's let's think it through. Do you really think um, that God's first priority or agenda? is to make sure someone isn't hungry. His first priority and agenda of, of God is to make sure that the, the person's spirit is uh, saved. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. And while um, a, uh, a person eating is great, a matter of fact, doesn't God talk about that in uh, the New Testament as far as uh, taking care of each other? 
Right. It's a blessing yeah. to the whole community, whether they're believers or not. But as we're passing the food out this morning, we're able to give God's blessing to the people as, as we okay. greeted all of them, whether they wanted it or not. And they were there because they needed the food. Um, yeah, and you know what? The thing of it is, we're going to do anything with food if they need it or not is God's business, ultimately. Right. But where I'm going with this is um, the, gospel, the social uh, justice, social gospel is making sure you're feeding people, for an example, and um, not necessarily not necessarily is the person giving the food or getting the food Kristen that's not the point Betty it was what you said a few uh, a minute or so ago in regards to it's the gospel mm -hmm. um, it, it's the gospel it's the gospel it's the gospel it's and it's a command from God isn't it to what to take care of the needy well, we talk about there's commands about the widows and orphans. Roger, did you want to comment? Can you hear me? Uh, now I can. Good. Comment is, what is the main emphasis? Is that what you mean? No, well, we're talking about the social gospel, and what is the what's the main emphasis of what we're to do in regards to anybody that anybody that is needy? Matter of fact, why not? Why don't we look at Micah six eight? I was just going to quote that. Go ahead, Roger. Okay, Micah six eight. <clears throat> Anybody have it in front of them? Uh, okay. I have it. Uh oh, sorry. Okay. Go ahead, Donna. I think Wendy has it. This is what Micah. I have it. This is a Micah chapter 6, verse 8. It says, No. He has told you what he wants, and this is all it is. It is to be fair and just and merciful and to walk humbly with your God. Uh, it's not the sacrifices. It's not all you do. He wants us to be just and fair to the people and merciful and walk humbly with your God. Exactly. Exactly. So we really need to be careful. We really need to be careful with what we think God wants us to do as far as feeding the poor and um, different things that the social gospel is doing. While I've said that, I, uh, when he just read that verse, um, you want to read it one more time, Wendy? Sure, I can. It says... Um, no, he has told you what he wants, and this is all it is, to be fair and just and merciful and to walk humbly with your God. 
Right. Anybody else have a comment? We've got 10 okay. minutes on this chapter. Oh no. my gosh. I, I love... Not even really, and we're not even really started. Let's go on and we're going to skip some of what I wanted to go over. But um, What did Karl Marx say on page 22 uh, about families based on Judeo-Christian values? What did Karl Marx say families based on Judeo-Christian values do? Uh, page 22. What did he say? Um, is it breed in equality and feed on greed and system, systemic, systemic oppression? Now, well, Marx taught that families taught on moral law and Judeo Christian values, um, but and Mar yes, Marx went on to say, but they breed in quality uh, and feed on greed and systematic oppression. Exactly, Donna. Isn't that crazy? That's, That's horrible. just plain crazy. Yeah. Um, and he really. In my eyes, it sounds like Marx has really twisted yeah, the right. truth of the gospel once again as somebody coming in and just twisting it enough to make it look like the gospel is not what it is. And really, if we live our Christian Judeo life, first we love God and then we love others. Simple as that when you come down to the common ground of denominations there for what we're supposed to do. And so, once again, it is not about equality so much as, uh, I think he talks about equity and equality. And it's like, there's a big difference between those two things. Exactly. Exactly. Does it also uh, sound like the New Covenant to you? It does, doesn't it? You mean the, the verse in Micah or what Marx is teaching? No, what you just said as far as love God and then each other. Oh, sure. That's, that is the new covenant. Yes, that is in this simplistic form. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. Um, so why is the nuclear family said to be an obstacle to the implement, implementation of Marxism? And when you're thinking about that, also think about what do the Marxists say the Bible teachings about marriage is the source of? <sighs> These answers are found on page 22 and 23. As far as the nuclear family said uh, to be an obstacle of the implementation to Marxism, because it's what? Remember this? Uh, Wendy, you can't see me, but I'm rubbing my fingers and my thumb together. You know what that's a sign for, right? No. Money. No. Oh, okay, gotcha. Mm -hmm. So, wealth passed on through family. Does scripture tell us to leave an inheritance to our children? 
Mm. It is. But know first and foremost that wealth is God and his word. But it does have to do with uh, money also. And then that's on page 22. And then on page 23, what do Marxists say? The Bible teachings about marriage is the source of. Uh, again, Wendy, you can't see me, but if... Multiple, <sighs> multiple forms of oppression. Yes. Yes. And so what do the Marxists say is the key to liberating the family? We saw that again on page 23. What is the key to liberating the family? Matter of fact, this is why the one of the main reasons that the, um, I can't think of his name right now, but the guy who won governor, uh, the governorship in Virginia. Um, Public schools. Yes, exactly. Putting kids in public education. um, And what's interesting, because it's indoctrination, um, there is a big move in this country right now to not send kids to college. Yay. Mm-hmm. Um, and now there are moms all over this country showing up at school boards, letting the school board have what have you in regards to not indoctrinating the kids on CRT and um, uh, the rest of it. Uh, transgender, etc. It's amazing. Have, uh, do any of you know how fast all of this is traveling? This uh, critical race theory and uh, transgenderism. It's um, yeah. it's it's like it's a, an all-out war. It's and a mothers disease. All over this country um, mm. are standing up to school boards. Still, I find it interesting that the church at large will not, is not, uh, as a whole or a good percentage, standing up, the church, the men, standing up against this. And this isn't a male bash day, um, exactly, but women are doing this and that. Do you think we're under the judgment of God when you see us as women standing up for what's right and going to school boards. Well, remember, the man is supposed to be the example of Christ in the family, and the husband is supposed to be the leader, and we as women are to be uh, helpful in that area. But once again, men have kind of fallen off um, their role as religious leaders and, and religious guides in our families. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and so we are under, if we didn't need to know before now, we are under judgment, but God's using us. But it was like when he said, it was the man um, to lead the home. Doesn't mean women can't talk or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying. Um, it's more mm-hmm. the men. Um, and it comes back to God put in government. He put in government because with, when we have masses of people, we need to organize. And so government is there to make laws to help us organize so we are a productive 
a group of people. It's the same with the family. You have to have a leader in order to go forward. Exactly. Um, there are a couple of things we're not going to be able to get to. Um, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to send you a list of scripture verses um, that you could have, you will have to add to your study of this book. And it's always God's word that we look to. Erwin Lutzer is a great writer and uh, a very good writer making the point. One of his other books, for example, was Hitler's Cross. Quite a few others. He was the pastor of um, a Moody Bible church in Chicago for about 35 years. Um, let's look at oppression, uh, the key to history. And we're only going to do... Um, one verse on this because I want to get to something else. We need to move on to the next chapter. On page 25, um, we read, please understand that Marx was right in pointing out that oppression exists often in horrible ways. So um, why do you think convincing people of their victimhood is so important for cultural Marxism? Oh, I'm a woman. I was so oppressed. I, you know, I didn't get equal pay. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. Oh, I'm black, so the color of my skin makes me a second-class citizen. Uh, what else? Um, like, oh, me? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm. I was born a uh, girl, but I want to be a boy. By the way. The other night on The Voice uh, TV show. Um, I saw that. Well, pardon? Did you hear What'd the you bell? Say, Wendy? <clears throat> uh, we were, my sister and I were talking about that situation on The Voice last night. Mm-hmm. It is, first of all, Where there was a, a... well, wait just a second. You can't find any TV show uh, program or commercials that doesn't blatantly or subliminal have a same-sex couple in it. There, I mean, there's, I mean, it's amazing. No, I haven't been able to find much of one. But Wendy, what happened on The Voice the other night? Uh, I did not see it, but we talked about it. There was on The Voice is a is a is a vocal competition show, and there happened to be a man and his son daughter. but really she was his daughter and uh so thus they were doing the competition and they tell the story of of uh how she was a girl and then became a boy and then they they sang their song but once again it's this idea of bringing in this um this new um new new, new way the family is mm -hmm. and they went on by the way in that little clip that saga of their personal story they're a family with, I believe, six children. And they made it look like kumbaya sitting at the fire, just being a happy family. Um, and what's interesting, not only the couple, the, the song they sang, they did, it, they did it well. They were skilled in their performance. But what was sad is they want, on top of not only having that program, that program turning more that way, but they won the competition. Um, 
you know, and what and we sit just baffled at how does this stuff happen. By the way, Blake Shelton is the produ uh, producer of that program, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so, um, whatever you want to do accordingly. He lived with uh, Gwen Stefani for five years. Uh, she said she was a practicing Catholic and um, she got him to go to mass. I don't know how much or what that was all involved in when they were living together and now they're married. So amazing. I took way too much time on that because Betty reminded me the bell just went off. I want to read a verse. Jeremiah seventeen nine. The heart is deceitful and wicked. Who can know it? Um, there's more scripture to that, but uh, on page 35 um, in the book, there is another reason we have been silent. We want to be nice, welcoming, grace-centered. We want to present Jesus as Savior to the greatest number of people possible. I don't think we even know very well how to do that. If what we say and believe about secular left's agenda uh, becomes public, we will be called haters, grace deniers, and legalists. We will be scrutinized with even the smallest offenses magnified. We cannot shout as loudly as the radicals, nor should we. So we retreat in silence. Do you think that's a fair reaction of what we do? Well, it's kind of scary. So is there another option? What do you think another option would be? Not be afraid. Well, remember who we belong to has bought us with a price right. and that um, God has won the battle already. Uh, so we know what will happen. Um, but uh, Donna and Betty were here when we went through a study called I'll Have It God's Way. It was a, it's a book about dying. And on the two bookends of the study is in regards to the gospel, giving the gospel. The middle part is, do we really believe what we say we believe? In other words, we do everything we can to live safe and, uh, and um, not have problems <coughs> medically, to take care of everything medically to the point putting family Donna is in the medical uh, industry, so she has seen a lot, especially here lately. But the thing of it is, we're getting a new body. I don't like the idea of how I might die if I'm not raptured first. I don't want pain. I don't think any of us do. Um, okay, the question is, what aspect of the book chapter, uh, how we got here, had the greatest impact on you? I think we kind of answered that question earlier when Betty said, uh, both Betty and Donna was saying, it's overwhelming. Um, and how do you see this affecting the way you think and live as a Christian? Betty just mentioned well, it. Just it, I find it very tempting to kind of um, walk softly around situations and friends and people that you know want to endorse 
the opposite view, but it is good for us to read this book and to be, you know, knowledgeable to know that God wants us to speak the truth in love. If they push, they're trying to change us. I don't know. Yes. Yeah, but I think also, this is Wendy, and I think you also have to look at each situation individually. No one wants to be demeaned or stripped of their dignity in a crowd. It's like you need, if you're going to have this kind of a conversation with someone, you certainly have to know when it is appropriate to approach someone, right. to have an intimate conversation with them, to have it come from the basis of love and not uh, law. Mm -hmm. And so uh, it's a very difficult thing. And once again, God also goes back and says, do not criticize, do not be argumentative, uh, to not uh, uh, coax people to anger. And so you've got to really um, tread lightly some things on things, and you also have to know when it is appropriate to take that stance in a public arena, and when it's better to do it in a private, quiet agenda. I agree wholeheartedly, Wendy, and one of the things um, we as a group have, uh, in all the times we've been together in studies, is um, learning how to ask good questions. Um, asking good questions. Huh, that's interesting. How did you come to that conclusion? Is that is this something you recently thought of uh, and have been persuaded, or have has this been a long time uh, position you've held? Um, As, asking really good question and strong people out and generally all the time but when you think about it um, let them they get to hear themselves defending what they say they believe and sometimes they're challenged enough to have to think through it I have um, a comment on uh, bouncing off of Wendy's comment I like First uh, Peter three fourteen to seventeen, but even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Yet, make sure you do this with gentleness and reverence and keeping a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. Oh, beautiful. Perfect verse. First mm -hmm. Peter 3, 14 to 17. Thank you. Okay. One of the things... I asked you to have a pencil and paper. Were you saying something, Donna? Oh, you know, um, I have too many things on my lap. Um, what um, what verse was that again, um, Roger? First Peter 3. First Peter. First Peter 3, 14 to 17. 14 to 17. Thank you. Uh, One of the things I asked you to have a pencil and paper today and write on your paper somewhere. Uh, what two or three commitments can you make in your own life 
to uphold biblical family values. Um, just put, put a note there. We're not going to talk about that right now, mostly because of the sake of time. And then the other thing is, um, and we'll do this at the end, but think of uh, five ways uh, you could commit yourself to prayer. I mean, gosh, I can't talk for anything today. Um, <laughs> what five things do you desire to make a, a matter of prayer right now? Um, and make a list of them. You know, just say prayer. And, and you know, when we're done today, just take a minute or two and write this stuff out. And you know me enough to know the act of writing helps you remember what it is. And it's, it has something to do, connection with the brain, that these things help move you to doing exactly what we said. Uh, in closing um, of the first chapter, the Lord is light. Oh, I can't even read. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 27, 1. Um, we're going to have to fly through chapter 2. Um, so, uh, rewrite the past to control the future. Um, in his book, 1984, Orwell described the ministry of truth whose duty is it was to make the past consistent with the present. Winston Smith's assignment was to make the truth look like a lie and vice versa. I'm going to stop there in the quote because there's too much in there to um, make a short discussion. Who, what I just read, what have you heard anything like that in the last couple of years. Yeah. <clears throat> There's a woman in charge of something that promotes this. She's actually been caught on tape. Not caught because she was trying to sneak. She's come out outright and said it. Is that Pelosi? Is that? Yes. Pelosi comes right out. Um, And are we not down that trail a lot now? She has really tried to brainwash um, everybody because she is in a position of supposedly quote unquote influence and power. And she uses it for all she can get. And it just makes everybody, most everybody upset most everybody right. there's the few that don't really care and don't ever listen but go right along with the program so yeah it's frightening and the older we get the more we realize how important it is to stand for the truth and to stand against stuff like that there goes Matt. oh you want me to <laughs> mute it okay there it is i muted um. <laughs> Roger, do you have some comments going into this chapter? Yeah, I think you can sum it up uh, by what uh, Orman would say. 
Transforming America by re rewriting the past, which we would call revisionist history. And, uh, Karen and I have seen that over many years, not just recently, and how wanting to change our history, especially the Constitution, uh, to uh, not only conform to what the cultural Marxists want, but goes even deeper than that, and the rest of the chapter covers that. The one last thing I want to say about the Constitution right now is um, I've heard so much lately in the discussion about what we're going through in our Constitution, the First Amendment, and that uh, especially the First Amendment as far as giving us rights. The bottom line is the Constitution does not give us any rights. What does it do? Gives us the freedom to speak. Did, did you? I can't hear you, Betty. Oh, oh. <laughs> Wait a minute. Okay. Still can't hear you. Uh, there. Okay. It gives us the freedom to speak what we feel is truth. Okay. It doesn't give us anything, so what what does it do? I don't know. It protects our God-given rights. That's right. It said, it said that right in, when I mentioned the Magna Carta, the, um, oh, there's something before that, and I can't remember it, the Declaration of Independence and our Constitution, and then our state constitutions. They protect our rights, uh, just as in Romans 13.1, um, our um, elected officials in this country are to be ministers of justice. And that, think about all the stuff that's been done uh, to, quote unquote, protect us. Not protect our rights, but protect us. In other words, this is all there is, this earth. No afterlife, no nothing. That's why we're fighting so hard to stay alive, quote unquote. Um, if you can make God not the author of life, and you change uh, an institution or a government or a document to give us rights, um, do you see how easy it is to set up the lie, mm -hmm. um, and that. Mm -hmm. So again, thinking of good questions. Uh, Roger? Yes. Uh, in the beginning of this chapter, we hit upon this brand new project that has come out in the last year and a half called the 1619 Project. Is anybody aware of that? Nope. No. What the 1619 project is. It's on page 51. Yes, on 51. It takes a position that arrival of slaves at Jamestown as the true moment when America was founded. Well, that's totally false. But they're promoting this tremendously, especially not only in Congress, but in the media today. And I can't remember the name of the uh, the woman who started this. Do you remember, Karen? Um, 
it, well, I don't know that she wrote her that, but the woman that's a, in charge of the BLM, Black Lives Matter organization, has nothing to do with black lives, but is uh, promoting Marxism, and both her and the other woman founders uh, were Marxist trained. Um, and it goes on to, what, what it does, it promotes the horribleness of uh, slavery and how um, whites were so horrible in the promotion, etc. Hear me, I am not saying slavery is right at all. I'm not saying that. Um, but the one thing that we fail to think of or remember, and this is helped by the 1619 Project, is while slavery, um, it, the radicals use slavery to delegitimize America and what they're attempting to delegitimize um, the Judeo-Christian uh, ethic. So um, again, ask that when you feel stuck in a situation, know first of all, you don't have to have all the answers. You don't even have to know how exactly to say what it is that you think you believe right as much as, although you should know what you believe, you need to know how to ask good questions. Uh, and you know, when something comes up, for an example, in these different settings and slavery, slavery gets brought up um, and that isn't it interesting? Just, I mean, wouldn't a good question be go, huh, I can't imagine what that must have, must have been like. But I don't think, my understanding is all whites didn't own slaves. So do you think it's legitimate to blame all whites? Yes, uh, I just found out who wrote the project. Uh, on page 50 of the book, Nicole Hannah-Jones, and it's, it's disgusting, I'll read it. Uh, she wrote a paper back in 1995 in which she said that the white race is the biggest murderer, rapist, pillager, oh. and thief of the modern world. The white race is composed, comprised of barbaric devils, bloodsuckers, and Columbus was no different than Hitler. Absolutely sick. Yeah. And it's being promoted a whole lot in the media. Maybe you've seen it or heard a little bit about it, but we definitely really have to stand against that. It's totally revisionist history. Well, and once again, we come back to what Jesus has taught us. And he taught us that everyone is equal. And so, like you said, Roger, all this propaganda is exactly what it is. And so what we need to do is to get out there and we need to promote uh, what God is telling us, that everyone is equal, that we all have rights. Um, and so, once again, we just have to do more of the church. Yeah. Um, Wendy, um, go a little bit further of... How, why is everybody equal? We were all... Because we are made in the image of God. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, the one thing in regards to it, and then we're going to move on from slavery. The West is who actually worked at um, uh, abolishing slavery. Um, anybody see the movie Amazing Grace? Yeah. Or read the book William Wilberforce? No. Yes. Okay, or, or what about mm -hmm. here in the States, the Underground Railroad? Do you know what that's all about? Yep. Yeah. So we, we really need to remember enough about our history. Not, I don't think telling people anything works as much as questioning. And you, you all won't always come up with the best question, but something that's kind of open-ended to make a person think. Um, you remember how I used to do, Wendy can't see it, but uh, first Corinthians, is it second Corinthians five? What is it, Roger? Take every thought captive. Uh, that's uh, second Corinthians six ten. Okay. Um, Wendy can't see me, but uh, Donna, I don't know if you can't see me or not, but Wendy can. Remember this? Great. And then taking the thought literally a hand gesture of taking the thought captive and tossing it as far as you can when i was first a christian i did that all the time i didn't care where i was at i looked foolish to some people i'm sure but the point being take every thought captive um really quick what does the humanist manifesto advocate Uh, I don't know. It's in the title. The Humanist Manifesto. What does it advocate? Oh, wants to it's take... It's all about you. Yeah. Wendy. Are you going to say something, Wendy? No, I'm sorry. I just had a cough. Um, real quick, moving down to it. Uh, American exceptionalism. American exceptionalism is one of the terms left, leftists have hijacked to give a different meaning. They have reinterpreted it to be demeaning and dismissive of other countries. But the exceptionalism refers not to an elitist elitist attitude. Rather, it speaks of how the freedoms and opportunities made available to Americans have been enabled uh, have enabled the countries to prosper and enjoy a higher standard of living than most places in the world. It is these freedoms and opportunities that immigrants find so attractive, leading many to move here or storm their ways over the gates. Based on um, What page are you on? Oh, sorry. What page are you on? I'm not on a page. Oh, okay. Um, it is these freedoms and opportunities that immigrants come here. Based on the right understanding of American exceptionalism, what are some examples of it and what can you, and, uh, of it and, that you can think of? 
what did the what did the church do for an example early on? Well, maybe we can remember something about the Red Cross hospitals. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Who started those? And the church. Yeah. And the church started orphanages, and they also were very productive in education. Yes, and then we gave it away. Uh, by the way, public education was um, started in this country for those who couldn't afford a tutor to teach their kids to read. Um, gosh, only if there was a hooked on comics back then. Um, but it was uh, the public school instituted for those who couldn't afford a tutor to be able to read what? The, the Bible. Bible. Um, and it was... Ha um, Horace Mann, I believe it was, that messed the schools up, and compulsory education. So on page 60, anybody uh, on page 60 yet? Okay. Roger, do you want to read that? Okay. Learning from history. What do we as Christians do when the history of our country is being rewritten or even deleted? And how do we respond when the cultural ground beneath us is shifting? Our calling and privilege is to represent Christ at this turbulent moment in history. That's the foundation of that question. Represent Christ. So do you agree that it's possible to learn from history without destroying it? Anyone? Say it again. Do you agree that it's possible to learn from history without destroying it? Yes. And can anyone give one or two examples of historical teaching opportunities you can think of that would instruct us toward a better future? We just talked about one of them. Absolutely. Somebody said homeschools. Once again, a homeschool would be excellent. Another thing is, once again, to participate in our school boards and to be a voice. Uh, another one is to, to also become a public official. Yes, and right now what the biggest thing going is uh, everyday people running for school board. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. amazing how many people, and people going to school board meetings and um throwing out their whole school day. Tell them about the woman in uh, New Jersey that spoke out at the school board meeting. Oh, that was in upstate New York. Upstate. Probably many of you saw that on social media. Um, give me a New Yorker any day. Um, and, or a Jersey woman. Anyway, what she did was she went to her school board and she talked to, she um, schooled them in uh, not teaching her kids or any of the kids critical race theory and 
um, on and on. Anyway, they tried to shut her down at least three times in the at the school board meeting. And she let him know, she said, I'm not done yet. I'm not quitting. I'm going to say what I have to say. And, and can you picture that with a New York um, and uh, give me a, a New York, an Italian New Yorker any day. Um, she, she was, she was great. She was great. Was it on um, YouTube? It was. It was, and it was posted on Facebook. Um, so uh, it, it's just amazing to see these women raising up um, and going to their school boards. Actually, here in North Carolina, a 21-year-old black gentleman was just elected to, Roger, what position did he get? Uh, county uh, commissioner, uh, no, I'm sorry, the, uh, uh, what was it? City council? City council, yeah. 21-year-old black gentleman went against everything you would hate conservative. Um, we also have a congressman here that was elected last year, and his name's uh, uh, Madison... Madison who? Crawford. Uh, I don't think that's his last name, but close enough. Anyway, he's a, a paraplegic. Oh, yeah, um, I saw that. 26 years old. Um, okay, we only have uh, just a couple of minutes left. And America, the church, and the future. Scripture teaches us to love our enemies, Matthew 5.44. Wendy was alluding to this with what all she was saying about uh, how we're gentle with them. Um, uh, this includes their, uh, our ideological enemies. So, in responding, and, uh, what attitudes do you think Christ wants us to show? If anyone says the word gentle, I'm going to beat you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> so what do you think? Uh, how do you think we should respond? Well, let me ask you this question. Do you even think we should respond? Um, how do you think we should respond? Well, first of all, the question, should we respond? Of course. And how? In love. Speak the truth in yeah. love. Well, that was the one I should have said. Because <laughs> we always say that, but what does that mean? Speaking the truth <laughs> is sometimes not smooth and easy but you can do and it in a loving way well, what's that mean you can speak the truth and you can be point blank but by being point blank you are being loving amen sister i'm sure wendy's thinking something well yes i am <laughs> and and it is right to be honest 
and forthright, but you have to have respect. In some of these school board meetings that I'm seeing on television, I am quite embarrassed for the Christian people. Yeah. Uh, for their lack of dignity and respect. Uh, you will never get honor and anyone listening to you when you come across like you're a, a, a banshee <laughs> at a school board meeting. So <laughs> that's my thought, Karen. You're right on. Right on. <laughs> and, and you have to remember that an Italian New Yorker doesn't sound quite like some other people. <laughs> For those who have not been on the East Coast, they may not appreciate all that because they may not get the full grip of what you're speaking of, Karen. <laughs> uh, that's true. Uh, I wanted to uh, quote Arthur Schlesinger's comment on page 60. I think it's kind of appropriate what we're talking about. Uh, he said that if a person loses his memory, he does not know who he is. When a nation loses its history, it becomes whatever people say it is, and usually the loudest and the most angry voices win. Great quote. That's what's going on today. That's right. In a nutshell. I believe it was Karl Marx that said, people robbed of their heritage are easily persuaded. And I think that's one thing um, that has definitely happened. What do we know from the Bible, in particular the Old Testament, about what we're talking about? And what were Paul's letters mostly about? Yes, doctrine, but... Um, Wendy, hang in there. You'll learn how to talk or listen, Pharisees. What were Paul's <laughs> letters about well let's talk about the old testament first in regards to a people easily uh, uh i forgot how i said that uh, people robbed of their history are easily persuaded what happened in the old testament what's the old testament about when the israelites were uh when they were put into slavery? Is that what you're talking about? Well, the biggest thing, they forgot who they were. Yeah, they forgot, yeah. And they forgot um, what God said to them. They forgot God's promises, yeah. Yes. So, in the New Testament, when Paul wrote, Paul's letters mostly are doctrine, but what? why was he writing that doctrine to them? What was happening? Who? Who was he writing to? Did... Whatever, whatever New Testament letter. I, I, I don't want to get, I'm not trying to get to a particular letter oh. as much as those letters. Why was he writing those letters? So they would come out of the Old Testament laws and come into the New Testament age of grace. And so, once again, the Judaizers were bringing them back under slavery and bondage again of law when Christ the Savior came and the people were now free. So what were they forgetting? Who they were, their, yeah. I their identity yeah. with Christ. Yeah, they, In they Christ. 
Yeah, they were forgetting, um, Betty, you said it in regards to the Old Testament, the promises given by God. Uh, we're talking about their identity in Christ. But the thing 